Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This time we're going to be talking about DC Pride. Uh, it was a big week when this came out in terms of books, and so we didn't get a chance to cover it because we were kind of saving it for last because there's a lot of good stories here and a lot of uh, interesting things to talk about. But, you know, we were at like two hours and 40 <laughs> minutes, and we just realized, you know, we needed almost an hour to cover this. So uh, we made the executive decision to kind of put it off for another time, and we'll give it its own special spotlight episode. Uh, so it's a little week late, but you're still going to hear what our thoughts are. Um, so I actually reread it because it had been a, a while, and uh, Rocky and I were just talking, and he, he kind of felt the same way I did. It didn't quite read as well the second time through, and uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not disparaging it at all. I think it's worthwhile. I think in terms of of the topic and spotlighting these LGBTQ uh, cre both creators and uh, characters, it's certainly worthwhile. Um, some people might say, oh, it's uh, it's tokenism or it's grandstanding or, you know, how come there's no DC, you know, white <laughs> heroes or whatever. <laughs> you got to understand that, you know, when, when people say, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you, you know, it's, it's Pride Month or what have you, for the entire history of society, really, the spotlight has been on on the straight white guy, the straight white hero, right? So just because you're calling out specifically that Black Lives Matter, it's not saying that other lives don't matter. Just because you're saying DC Pride and celebrating these heroes doesn't mean the other heroes don't matter. The other heroes have the spotlight most of the time, right? The reason that it's Black Lives Matter is because those are the lives that are in danger in society today with yeah. the, the inequality and systemic racism. So yeah. it, it's not it's not putting down or belittling, belittling anything else. It's just a celebration of these characters and these heroes, and they deserve it. These are interesting characters and interesting heroes. And when we go through the stories, there's some stories that I didn't particularly like. I want to make it clear it has nothing to do with the sexual orientation of the character. It just has more to do with the execution of the story, or maybe I didn't like the art. Uh, I'm not saying that I think that this shouldn't exist or, or anything like that. So I want to make that clear that I, I think this is a good thing. And I think it represents a step, another step forward. I think DC does it better than any other publisher. You know, I see Marvel's doing one now in August, yeah. <laughs> you know, DC's yeah. had it planned for a year. It's like Marvel's always following and they're more of a corporation, a little more faceless to me. It's not as much about the people as it is at DC, you know, it's more about the people. It's more about the creators. It just feels more like a little bit more like a family than a, than a corporation. And don't get me wrong. It's still the AT&T overlords. And we saw that with all the layoffs last year. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I agree. And uh, I, I will say this, and this is something that, uh, that, that frankly, I admit to personally struggling with. Uh, one of the common criticisms of, of any publisher's attempt to focus on on same-sex relationships in the context of any kind of story. But in particular, I think in the superhero genre is that any attempt to mention the sexual orientation of the character r right away runs up against the criticism that, well, I don't want a story about the sexual orientation. I want to, I just want, just tell me a good story. Don't focus on the orientation. And I, I admit that, uh, I think that I'm, I'm sort of realizing that I, I think I'll, in, for some of these stories, that is the point, that, that their orientation is the point of the story sometimes. And that is the point of drama at times. And, you know, it's, it's, 
it is something that, uh, you know, frankly, I've, I, I remember growing up, I always wanted more romance, uh, between in Superman comics. I wanted to see more of Clark Kent dating and everything else. And I, I wanted to see that more, not just the adventure. I, my favorite scenes were the, the love triangle. And, and of course, I, I, I come at that from a heterosexual perspective, obviously. And so when we get that, the, when we get the gay perspective or the LGBTQ perspective, it's romance in comics. Uh, I would be lying if I said that, you know, it's my own, it's my own uh, sexuality that, that, you know, it is something that I'm still getting accustomed to. And when I, and it's, and I, I want to be careful when I review, I always got a second, you know, I always got to like sort of check myself and say, okay, well, look at this from, you know, from the perspective of, is this a good story? Is this a good relationship story? Uh, if it is focusing on the on the relationship between two uh, gay characters or LGBTQ uh, characters, uh, then I got to give that a fair shake. And I would be lying if I said, I mean, I'm from Redneck, Alberta here. So I, like I was telling you earlier, it's been a, you know, I've had to adjust my thinking over the last 20 years myself. And I, I went through law school in 92 and you know, I went through my own sort of sense of, uh, you know, times are changing and it's it's very interesting to see these types of changes happen in comic books. And it is a long time coming. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, like I said, there are some stories and some of these characters that I don't particularly care for. It doesn't have anything to do with their sexual orientation. It's just I don't care for the characters. You know, there's plenty of straight characters I don't like. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, listeners at this point can probably start rattling them off. You know, well, I'm. Amanda Waller and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get started on Waller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but there's, there's characters that I don't, I don't particularly care for, but anyway, um, I'll give all the credits and then we'll probably mention them again as we go through. Um, I'm going to start with the pinups. There's a great pinup of Aqualad crush bunker and Tracy 13 by Travis Moore with Alejandro Sanchez. There's one of Apollo by David Teleski. There's one of Green Lantern, and that's the Joe Mullen Green Lantern by Brittany Williams. There's one of John Constantine by Kevin Wada. There's one with Scandal, Savage, Knockout, and Jeanette by Chris Anka. There's one by Catman uh, that's uh, by Nick Robles, so probably the, my favorite of the pinups. And then there's a Harley and Ivy by uh, Sophie Campbell. And then as far as the stories go, Wrong Side of the Looking Glass, written by James Tynan. Trung Lee Nguyen as, is the artist that did a bit of card as the letters. By the Victor, Steve Orlando is the writer, Stephen Byrne, artist, Josh Reed, letters. Try the Girl, Vita Ayala, writer, Skyler, Partridge, artist, Jose Villarubia, colorist. Ariana Maris does the letters. Another Word for a Truck to Move Your Furniture, written by Mariko Tamaki, Amy Reader, artist, Marisa Louise, colorist, Ariana Marr, letters. He's the Light of My Life, Sam Johns, writer, Klaus Jansen, artist, Dave McCaig, colors, Tom Napolitano on letters. Closed Makeup Gift by Danny Lore, writer, Lisa Sterl, artist, Enrica Aaron Angiolini as color, Becca Carey Letters, Be Gay, Do Crime by Cena Grace, with, uh, he's the writer, Rostein and Ted Brandt are the artists, Adita Bidikar on letters, Date Night by Nicole Maines as the writer, you might recognize her name, she plays Dreamer in the Supergirl TV show, uh, Rachel Stott does the art on that one. Enrica, Aaron, and Giolini on colors. Stephen Wands on letters. And then we finish up with Love Life by writer Andrew Wheeler. Luciano Vecchio as artist. Rex Locus on colors. And Becca Carey on letters. Uh, there's a foreword by Mark Andreco, who a lot of people will know as uh, kind of an older veteran creator who has been uh, 
out and proud, I'll say, uh, for uh, his entire career. And uh, he's a very, very talented writer. I've interviewed him a few times. Uh, and the first story is a, a Batgirl story by James Tynan, Trung Lui, uh, or Lee Nguyen as artist. Um, I, I got to say, it's not that I don't like Trung Lee's art, uh, because I've seen his art before where I've really liked it, but I, I just didn't particularly care for it in, in context of this Batwoman story. And this one's more about um, sort of Kate Kane talking about her childhood and sort of her self-realization that she was a lesbian and how she didn't feel like she uh, fit in and, and sort of her relationship with her sister Beth um, and how she felt like sort of a a, a reflection of Beth, you know, the, the mirror opposite where, you know, Beth was uh, very feminine and, and perfect and very ladylike. And, and Kate always felt the exact opposite of that. Um, and then eventually her realization and, and coming to her own of, of who she is and becoming comfortable in her own skin. Uh, but I don't know, maybe it was because I didn't feel that this was the best art choice for it. This, it wasn't my favorite. Um, I just thought it was okay. It didn't necessarily tread any new ground. I mean, I think Kate Kane, and maybe it's part of the time when when Kate Kane, the Kate Kane version of Batwoman was created. It was a more kind of aware time as far as LGBTQ issues, and so I feel like she she got a good shake. You know, she got a good um, portrayal already, and we've we've seen these issues and, and her problems explored very well in the pages of detective comics and, and also the, the Batwoman yeah. series that J.H. Um, Williams wrote and illustrated. And so this feels like a truncated version of that. But obviously when you're talking about a story that only takes place over a few pages versus a story that takes place over a lot of issues, it, it's been done before and better, right? This is sort of a, a summation of it. And I guess if you're not familiar with Batwoman, uh, Kate Kane, then maybe you would enjoy this and it's a good introduction to her. But I read a lot of that uh, Kate Kane material already. So for me, this was kind of, um, um, I don't know, repetitive in a way and derivative. And it didn't really bring much to the table because, again, I didn't particularly care for the art. And I, I like uh, Trung Lee's art. Like I said, I've seen it uh, previously. I think the, the story he did uh, about the the Green Lantern, um, the Vietnamese Green Lantern was, was awesome um, that we had in a previous anthology, but I don't know. It didn't do much for me here. So this was probably one of my, my lesser favorites um, in terms of story. What are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, yeah, well, like you say, I, I recall finally J.H. Williams and uh, Greg Rucka's uh, writing of uh, Batwoman, and so th th those are the, the definitive runs on the character. This one's not bad. It's It, it clearly is using... Uh, I think the well, obviously the Al Alex or Alice in Wonderland sort of metaphor of sort of like fitting in and being you know lost in the rabbit hole and trying to find your place in life and being confused and what have you. Uh, straight up, I admit, and maybe it's only me, but I, I was a little bit confused by the metaphor here. I was a little bit confused by the the story. I wasn't even clear if Beth was her sister at first, and but I, I did figure that out. I had re I had to go back and reread it, uh, and then. I think I thought this Alice character is one of her villains, is one of her arch nemesis, I, at least fr from the show. Uh, but then I don't know if this, this Mad Hatter seemed to appear. I thought this was all taking place in her head, but I don't know if it's real. And I am, you know, I I I guess, you know, I, I mean, I, it's clear 
where the story has its strengths is is you get a strong sense that yeah she struggled growing up and how she how she imagined and her early feelings about feeling different when she was younger i thought that was very well well done and it it came across uh, well enough uh but you know I, I guess in the end i mean she you know uh, this is a story that that has been told before, and I think it's been done better. But but look, it's 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 done well enough. Uh, frankly, for people that have never read Batwoman before, maybe don't know a lot about Kate Kane, other than the fact that she's just a gay Batwoman. If you're reading this, I I, I think this is a little bit too metaphorical. Uh, I think this is a little bit too unclear, but. I always, I really hesitate when I when I'm talking about any of these of this story in particular because this story is not not written for me, <laughs> clearly, uh, and uh, I but I but I, I I guess I appreciate the metaphor. I actually I'll disagree with you that I in in so far as I actually enjoyed the art. I thought it worked well, in particular uh, the the bright red hair, the color palette. I think's works really well and you really got a strong sense that there was two sides to Kate Kane growing up there was the side that was struggling to be the beautiful girl that her daddy wanted to be the you know the typical the the traditional girl who uh was obviously attracted to boys as opposed to the girl suppressing her her feelings for for other girls and so you know I got mixed feelings about it but you know, uh, again, I I actually thought it was a little bit more confusing on the second read around, ironically enough. But uh, it it worked well enough. Yeah, I mean uh, that that goes to the character of of Kate Kane. You know, it is her twin sister Beth, who also is known as Alice. And I, I don't. It's, it's been too <laughs> that long. That wasn't clear from the narrative. I mean, I, I had totally forgotten that. I I I never. Yeah, that. that so that that goes all the way back to like 2009 Detective Comics run. Yeah. You know where this Red Alice anti-hero slash villain shows up and becomes a nemesis of Batwoman. And then Kate Kane finds out it is her, her sister that she, her sister, Beth, who she believed was dead. Um, so that's like straight out of the, you know, the well, early issues of, of Batwoman. But what's with the Mad Hatter thing here? Like where, where did he come from? That I don't, that like, I, I don't, I don't, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't remember. Don't... Yeah. I don't remember if the Mad Hatter showed up in that, uh, in that or those early appearances of, of Red Alice, as she was called, um, when she showed up. Um, and I, I don't watch the Batwoman TV show. I don't really watch any superhero TV show, so I yeah. don't know, you know, what. But, I mean, it is her, it is her sister. Um, and, and I, you know, even back when I first read the, that detective run, I always thought, wait, her name's Beth, and she's calling herself Red Alice. And some people are calling her Alice, and that's really confusing. Like, yeah, when you come I, up with a super villain name, you can't have it be a like a regular first name. Like Typhoid Mary, you know, over on Marvel and DC, like her first name is Mary, like even when she's in her civilian identity. Yeah. And then as a villain, she's Typhoid Mary. <laughs> yeah. That's not confusing. When your name is Beth and your super villain name is Alice or Red Alice – that is confusing. Don't call her that. Call her something else. Just name her. You should have just named her Alice, and then she could have become Red Alice. So, 
Yeah, whatever. I mean, I, like I said, I, I didn't particularly care for it. It's James Tynan. Honestly, I expect better from him. Yeah, I expected um, a lot better. I, I, I thought yeah. this was, uh, this was. I mean, Tynan usually is known for his exposition, and he can. He usually, if anything, he overexplains things. It's not like him to be this uh, uh, unclear. But yeah, it, like I said, it just if you've read all the Batwoman stuff, there wasn't anything new here. Um, and if you haven't read the Batman stuff. Apparently, because Rocky didn't either didn't re read it or didn't, didn't remember, remember. <laughs> it's not it's it's not a good recap. It's not a good way to bring somebody up to speed. So yeah. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, one of the highlights is the next story: "Time in a Bottle," uh, and this one is written by Steve Orlando. I mentioned before the art is by Stephen Byrne. Josh Reed on letters. This is fantastic art. Um, but that's not any big surprise. Stephen Byrne, who d usually does his own color work as well, is a fantastic artist. And he draws some very handsome men here. You know, it's a John Constantine story. We have Extrano or Gregorio de la Vega, the infamous <laughs> that, That's an awesome Extrano. name. That's an awesome uh, name, man. Gregorio de la Vega. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm fine with how handsome he looks. Uh, I think you mentioned it before when we did our, our DC Spotlight for the for the week, or maybe it was before we started talking uh, or recording about how much like Dr. Strange he looks. And he very much yeah. does. Look, I mean, from the gray temples to the, you know, uh, yeah. close crop beard, like the whole thing. And, and I don't have a problem with that, except for the fact that when he showed up in the millennium event way back in 1988, drawn by Joe, uh, Joe Staten, yeah. he didn't look like this at all. He had a long pointed <laughs> nose. His skin was much darker. He had like this handlebar mustache. He was very much more flamboyant, um, and maybe they were leaning into the whole flamboyant gay character kind of thing, and, and maybe that's not as politically correct to do it that way. And it's fine for people to change their appearance over time, but it's just such a radical change. Um, and, and I think he has showed up between – you know, it's not like the guy's been on the shelf since 1988. He has shown up here and there since then, and I think this is – the look that we have here is more true to his more recent looks, and he did – sort of need an update because it was in a way almost a, a caricature. And I, I've, I've heard, uh, and I think I've read articles about that event, that millennium event and how, you know, it was a, it's not a very good event. It, it sort of ties in with the Manhunters. Um, it's a terrible event. The, the robotic. Uh, yeah. It, it's not, it's not very well done, but the robotic uh, prede uh, predecessors of the Green Lantern Corps, the Manhunters and, um, in terms of being a messy story and not very good, it has its problems, but where it even goes beyond that is, you know, it's supposed to be, okay, we're going to, we're looking toward the millennium. Remember this in 1988, a lot of people were looking toward the year 2000. It wasn't that far off. And DC was trying to sort of expand its appeal internationally. And it brought in all these, these new, they were called the new guardians and they recruited them and they were these international heroes, Extrano being one from uh, Brazil but the problem was they brought in these these characters, these characters from foreign lands, and they were so tropey and so stereotypical, you know, beyond just the, their sexuality, you know, like a Extrano being this flamboyant, uh, you know, Latin gay man. Um, they were just such stereotypes, and it, it it has not aged well. It's only gotten worse over time. So I'm glad that we have this version of Extrano, but there's always the part of me in the back of my head that, whatever the look of a character that, you know, the first look, if I haven't read a story that establishes why that look has changed, mm -hmm. there's a little 
you know, part of me and the little continuity uh, devil on my shoulder going, that's not what he's supposed to look like and, and what have you. So, but it's, it's a small nitpick overall. The story is enjoyable, um, which is a little surprising to me how much I enjoyed it uh, because I'm not a big fan of Midnighter. And again, this is another one of those things where it has nothing to do with his sexual orientation. I, I, I couldn't possibly care less about his relationship with uh, Apollo or, or whatever. It's not, I just, I just don't care for that. He's not very likable. You know, he's kind of a jackass. Uh, his powers are interesting enough, but it's not so interesting that it, it can overcome the fact that I just don't care for the character uh, very much. And, you know, it's been well established that Constantine, John Constantine is, uh, I, I don't know, he's not even bisexual. He's like, pan. I guess pansexual is the, the term because the guy will just have sex with anything, which totally suits the character of John Constantine. You know, he's completely amoral and, you know, doesn't give a rat's ass about you know, anything, or at least portrays himself that way. Um, so you, you would look forward in a, in a pride issue to having a cool Constantine story. And here he's just sort of here at the beginning, you know, first page. And then there at the last page, because extraneous telling him the story, we didn't get a cool Constantine story. Instead, we got a Midnighter story. And the, I mean, it's fine. He, he's the characterization on Midnighter is correct. And uh, he beats the crap out of this vampire who's trying to, rewrite history and um count berlin count berlin yeah, count berlin and I, I can't remember the word that they use basically he's trying to erase the straight uh, wash he wants a straight, straight wash, wash. History. there you go straight right. yeah okay. straight wash history. that that's the word yeah. yeah and so you know that's uh that's a noble effort to go <laughs> no this is what really happened you know there were uh lgbtq you know issues or or characters or people or whatever and this guy's this vampire is trying to erase it that's a pretty good metaphor for how times have changed and how the old guard wants to kind of hold on and be conservative and sweep that stuff under the rug. You know, it wasn't acknowledged for a long time that people could have different sexual orientation. So in that way, it's, um, it's, it's a good idea from Steve Orlando and it's a good story. And I think for me, the art is what puts it over the top um, and, and makes it enjoyable for me because the art's absolutely, absolutely spectacular. Um, but again, it's it's Midnighter, and I know Midnighter is actually a favorite of, of Steve Orlando. Um, but for me, yeah. I don't know if if the roles had been reversed and it had been Midnighter that came and sat at the bar and talked to uh, Extraneo and told him about the story of um, of the time Extraneo and and John Constantine took on Count Berlin, I probably would have found that a little more enjoyable. Um, yeah. But it's still, again, the art is what really sells this one. It's it's absolutely fantastic. So. Uh, I did. I did enjoy this one. What were your thoughts on it, Rocky? I uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought that the uh, Steve Orlando, as you've indicated, he he acts. He has written Midnighter before. He wrote the entire. In fact, he wrote the entire Midnighter series. I think that was during DCU. I think he wrote the full yep. Midnighter series. He's uh, and in fact, uh, he's he's right up there in writing LGBTQ characters. Even in with his uh, Commanders in Crisis, consists of a lot of. Uh, uh, LGBTQ members uh, in, in his own, in his image series. I, I, I really enjoyed this. This is by far my favorite, my, my favorite story. This is actually, this is the most superhero-like story in this entire, in this entire comic. In all of DC Pride, this is the best story. There's an image here where Extrano looks exactly like, in my view, it's, there's an image here of Midnighter and Extrano breaking through the, the, what looks like a church window. And boy, does he look like Doctor Strange from Marvel. And 
I'm actually excited about this because if there's one thing that DC has needed, I know that sometimes we get on the big two for for copying each other, but DC should have copied this a long time ago. The DC universe needs a Doctor Strange. I'm sorry, Doctor Fate's just not the same. Uh, you know, I I kind of like this. It's 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 kind of an almost a ridiculous kind of ripoff. I mean, literally right down to the images and the and the magical little symbols that emanate from Extrano's hands. Very Doctor Strange like. But I quite like it. I also find it interesting that Extrano indicates that uh, in the on the final page as he's walking outside the bar with uh, with um, uh, John Constantine. He tells John Constantine, who you know, there's an impression that John Constantine might pick him up, so to speak. That he says that he's married, and and then Extrano hints at the fact that his his husband might be a werewolf or something. And I'm just yeah. I'm just kind of wondering, do we know who Extreno's husband is or is that something I, that's yet to be revealed? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's been previously revealed. It wouldn't surprise me if it if it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. But it also wouldn't surprise me if it... Because I think the last time we saw Extreno was in like the first metal event um, in, in the bar. What is it? The, the bar that goes nowhere or the nowhere bar or whatever it's called. Yeah, I'm 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 not really sure, but but uh, anyways, interesting enough. I also thought the 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 whole the whole plot itself about you know in history, uh, Achilles Achilles was a uh, sort of like a demigod that had that had same sex relationships, and one of them was with a person by the name of Patroclus, and this Count Berlin wants to take the bones of Patroclus and 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 white and straight wash history and eliminate the homosexuality of Achilles I think and Patroclus from history <laughs> and, and so it's it's kind of a I don't know I find that kind of a funny plot point that you know got to get those two gay characters in there to stop their straight washing of history it's I mean I mean okay I guess I don't know I get I guess that's evil uh <laughs> I mean, I can think of worse things for a bad guy to do, but but maybe that's unfair for me to say because I'm you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm straight, so I, I don't know. Um, but I I did find that somewhat uh, uh, somewhat telling. I mean, but 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 again, I mean, it's 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 appropriately within DC Pride, and uh, you know, if you're gonna if if you're gonna straight wash, I can t- if you're going to send somebody to take out a straight washing villain, you might as well send Midnighter in extraneo because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll get the straight, job done. <laughs> yeah, a straight, not just a straight washing villain, but a straight washing vampire. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, yeah. fantastic. Now, this was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a fun read. Yeah. Uh, up next, we have that uh, Apollo uh, Midnighter pinup by David uh, Kalaski, and followed right. by the. The Joe Mullen Green Lantern pinup by Brittany Williams. Uh, next up is Try the Girl, written by Vita Ayala, art by Skylar Partridge, or pa- uh, Patridge, rather. Colors by Jose Villarubia, Villarubia, and letters by Ariana Mara. And this is, a, this is a question story, Rocky. What did you think of this one? It's a little short, uh, but... It, it's a little short. That's good. You know, Rene Montoya um, is always... Uh, I will say as a compliment to all the writers who have ever written Rene Montoya, going right back to Gotham Central, uh, when it was written by Greg uh, Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka, and that that famous Half a Life storyline where she she comes out of the closet and sort of reveals her sexuality to the to her fellow workers at the Gotham PD, and uh, eventually she would go on to become the Question and assume that mantle. 
She's I love the way that they play her. She's a lesbian, but she's she has an active sex life. She might be a little bit of a borderline alcoholic. She might not necessarily deal with her problems very well. <laughs> she's she maybe drinks too much, but she likes she likes to have a social life. And she does here, too. And this involves her sort of like she mentions a friend. This this short story deals. You know, she's focusing on her friend, Valeria, Valeria Johnson, who she knew as a defense attorney and a very good one. And uh, as a police officer, she came up across this Valeria, uh, Valeria Johnson in court from time to time. And you could, there's an attraction there. And it's and this is a little bit tropey in the sense that she wants to protect uh, uh, Val. And, but she discovers that while Val is mugged and Val is at, at mugged and she's tied up, but she discovers very quickly that uh, Valeria can protect herself quite well. And this is really sort of propping up the idea that, you know, these are strong characters, you know, that that Valeria isn't a victim. And so this this is very much playing that card that neither one of these uh, LGBTQ members of the DC universe are victims. Just because one's the hero and one isn't doesn't mean that they're both not kick ass. And neither one of them are victims here. And uh, the bad guys are handily uh, taken out by the question and uh, Valeria and uh, at the end there's some they're smitten there and uh, a kiss right on the question's lips right <laughs> right through the mask and it was kind of cute it was kind of nice and it sort of plays up the idea that you know Renee Montoya is always a little bit risque if if there is a she's not afraid to uh, what I like about Renee Montoya is that she's so flawed she's not afraid to use the fact that she's the question to to get lucky once in a while. She does that all the time, and she always, she, even in the pages of Lois Lane, when last I read her, she was helping out Lois Lane, uh, the 12-issue series written by Greg Rocca. In that series, too, she was flirting with different characters. In fact, she ended up flirting with the villain that almost killed her, even in the pages of Lois Lane. <laughs> and uh, and this, this characterization is consistent here. So I actually thought this was a short story, but it was a good one in, in, in keeping with the character. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I thought the art was very street. You know, it's very down and gritty, uh, which suits a, a question story. So I don't really have that much to add. I I, I thought the the voice, you know, it's narrated by uh, Renee Montoya. The question herself, we're getting it, the story from her perspective, and I thought that was very authentic. Uh, and I loved at the end that apparently Valeria knew all along that this version of the question is Renee Montoya, and and uh, she's so stunned by the kiss that Valeria gives her <laughs> through the question mask. Uh, that guy to be continued, Renee. She's like, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll see you later. Wait, how did you know who I? So uh, it, it does say at the end, uh, just the beginning. So curious where we might get more of that story. And if we if we do get more of the story of the, of these two um, characters, I hope it's Vita Ayala that's that's writing it because this is a great start. Yeah. Do you happen to know anything in the grapevine? Is there like a question series coming out, or is this going to be a backup no, feature? I or no, I haven't. I haven't heard anything. Um, Maybe we'll get something in uh, the pages of uh, Infinite Frontier. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard anything. Uh, but I also haven't talked to Vita in a, in a while. They've been really, really busy. Uh, I want to have them back on the show, but they've just been super busy. So obviously working on many, many projects because I know they're writing a, a couple titles over at Marvel as well as uh, I think some creator-owned stuff coming down the coming down the pipe. So I guess we'll see. Good. Uh, up next, we have the obligatory Harley uh, Poison <laughs> Ivy story. Uh, it's written by Mariko Tamaki. Art is by Amy Reader. 
uh, colors by Marisa Louise, letters by Ariana Mayer. I, I kind of feel like, again, if, obligatory, right? You're doing a pride issue. You got to put this, these two in there. You got to talk about their relationship. But this is probably my least favorite uh, in terms of art, in terms of the story, um, because it didn't feel like anything special. It, it's not that I don't care for the Harley Poison Eye relationship. I actually think it's quite, um, it's quite touching at times. But this is just kind of them being them, and so it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like anything special. And I also didn't care much for the art, so. Uh, it was just okay in my mind. Um, yeah. So I don't know. What, what were your thoughts, Rocky? Yeah, Amy Reader's art is always sort of a mixed bag for me. I know that she, I think she did the Amethy series. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and that was sort of a little bit hit and miss with me. But I know that she's got, she does actually have a fairly loyal and uh, fan base. And uh, um, I think she, you know, you know, over time, I think her art will, you know, uh, improve more and more. I'm even going to cut Marika Tamaki some slack on this story. Although I probably shouldn't, but I will anyway. I don't know how you can tell. I mean, we've gotten so many Harley and Ivy stories. This one seems very derivative. And this just involves, you know, Ivy wanting to have a conversation about the relationship and Harley kind of avoiding it in her sort of go lucky, you know, jump around kind of way. Uh, This is very much out of sync with the current storyline where Harley is actually looking for Ivy. And I know this. Frankly, I realize this isn't connected to mainstream continuity per se directly, uh, but nonetheless, I would have I would have liked to have seen a little bit more creativity in this story. Maybe you know a little bit more. This could have been a flashback to when they were first having feelings for each other and struggling with them, and and both of them coming out. And you know, it's funny that we we hear we've gotten so many stories about Ivy coming or pardon me, poison or geez, sorry, Harley coming out. Uh, the focus of Harley on her cartoon and Harley and her comic books. But how often do we really get Poison Ivy's perspective? I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Poison Ivy's perspective uh, as opposed to just, you know, once again, this is a, this, this is really a, a, a short story focusing on Harley, you know, Harley just hopping around Poison Ivy, trying to get Harley to calm down and focus and talk about, you know, their relationship. And, and that's all well and good, but I mean, Frankly, I, you know, if, if I, I just think a little bit more creativity, we could have got a little bit more out of this. Uh, there are some pages here where Amy Reader's art, you know, shines quite well. There's a there's a page here where there's four hearts on the page and uh, there's, you know, within the hearts are are the images of the characters. And then alongside that juxtaposed alongside that is is a giant plant that Ivy's dealing with as they're having a conversation. I thought it worked really well. So even though Amy Ryder's art might be a little bit of an acquired taste for some, I do, you know, I do give her some credit for sort of thinking outside the box in terms of uh, how she's laying out the page. And some of the, some of the, you know, she, it's really hit and miss with the facial expressions. Some pages, she nails the faces very well. Others, not so much, but colors are great and vibrant. And I, I, the color, the colorist is, um, I just want to give the proper credit here. Colorist is a Marisa Louise, uh, you know, again, uh, again, not bad, but I think somewhat tropey and predictable for a, for a Harley Ivy story. Yeah, I, I agree. 
Uh, all right. He's the light of my life is up next. Sam John script, Klaus Janssen, pencils and inks, Dave McKaig on colors, Tom Napolitano on letters. And this is uh, the, the Alan Scott Green Lantern story, which, you know, here's, here's a character that's been around since the golden age. Uh, and apparently there were always hints uh, along the way. I, I might argue that um, I'm sure back in the golden age that people weren't, you know, writing straight white or, or uh, white male superheroes as with the potential to be gay later on. But I, I again, I haven't read a lot, a lot of that stuff, so I can't really say. Maybe there were hints all along, but it's, it's certainly been retconned that he always was and struggled. Uh, with his sexuality and now is out and proud and, you know, good for him, uh, even though he's a uh, fictional character, I suppose. Uh, but what did you think of this story, Rocky? I I really like this. You know, out of all the, um, like, I, I was a huge fan growing up of the All-Star Squadron. I love the Justice Society of America. I loved Alan Scott. I love Jay Gary. I love all of them. And, and honestly, you know, growing up, I was, okay, granted, I was a teenager at the time. I can tell you that I don't think there was any hint or clue at all. There was no focus on the sexuality of the characters back then, at least not that I remember at all. And what I really think that they've done a really good job here, and Sam Johns does a good job here on the script, of just telling the story of Alan Scott, you know, when he was younger, how much he repressed. And growing up, you know, uh, in, you know pre-World War II, and, you know, hiding his relationship and how they... They had to hide, uh, you know, men had to hide their affection for each other. And presumably, of course, I'm sure women did too. And and it, I really like how it brings the past into the present through through the very creative use of, of, not, only, uh, of not only a tavern, a modern day tavern that existed at the time of World War II that Alan Scott returns to with his son, Obsidian. But he also at one point utilizes his Green Lantern ring as his son Obsidian takes him into the basement. He uses his Green Lantern ring to sort of to sort of show to use his power ring to show what the room looked like in the past. And the the bar itself was also a I guess a gay bar uh, back in the uh, back in when World War Two or pre World War Two as it is apparently today. But of course, it's more open today. And I thought it was really well done. And uh, I, from a color perspective, I like the fact that when they were given some focus as to, you know, what it looked like in the past, there was sort of like that green imagery uh, from the from the Green Lantern ring. And and again, all this, I even like the dialogue here that um, I, I really like the writing of Obsidian because as Alan Scott is talking to his son, uh, he, you know, at one point he says to him, he says, for a young man making his name in justice, getting political felt too risky. And, you know, Obsidian gets very defensive and says, getting political, do you mean existing? Like he's almost being resentful and, and overly defensive about it. And and Alan Scott is being, you, you can tell he's sort of like being an older and more diplomatic. And he, he goes, well, well, whatever you call it, you know, people weren't looking to stop weren't going to stop being themselves. People kept coming by even for the, for the decade or three, I kept my head in the sand. And I thought the conversation was very delicately handled because nowadays it's very hard for people to have this type of conversation uh, on social media. Pe people raise, you know, they get their dukes up and they get defensive and they think they're being preached to, or they think they're being indoctrinated when it's, it's no such thing. People just, just get overly sensitive about it. And I thought that this was handled very well. These two characters, how Alan Scott and his son Obsidian have this conversation, 
is the way people ought to have this conversation. And, and that's why I really like, not only did I like how this was laid out artistically and through the colors, but I also enjoyed the dialogue, how this script, the script itself was handled. And so, you know, uh, I thought it was, I, I thought it was well done. I thought it was well done. And of all the, of all the, the characters that are LGBTQ now for the DC universe, the one that I accept the most that feels the most believable to me is in fact, ironically enough, Alan Scott. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, whether there were hints and whether it was planned or at what point was it planned, it doesn't matter because it works. It works so well for the character. And this is my favorite story of, of the whole uh, issue. And it, it's for a lot of the reasons that you said it's, it's such a great retrospective on the life of Alan Scott and looking back on what people of his generation struggled with, you know, and the fact that he is able to be out and, uh, you know, kind of live in the light, you know, no, no pun intended with yeah. Green Lantern here <laughs> uh, is, is very, that's very good for him, you know, that he is able to sort of finally accept because as you said, he repressed it for a long time. He has children, you know, he had a wife, he, yeah. he tr did everything he could to kind of run away from himself and, and do what he was, you know, society said he was supposed to do. Um, and now that he gets to actually be himself, that's something that's, that's very admirable, but there is some, some angst and some pain and some poignancy when you look back on his life and the things that he went through, he obviously knew, you know, much earlier than, than we all knew as, as readers and fans, you know, when you're talking about this bar pre-World War II. So there's that aspect of the story that really helps us see uh, and celebrate how far we have come as a society in accepting people that uh, aren't, you know, like the majority of us, you know, people that do uh, have other sexual orientations and, and it's all about acceptance and empathy. So that part of the story is fantastic. And then uh, th that would be enough, but no, we also get the relationship with his son, as you described, um, and his son being, you know, uh, of a different generation where much less willing to hide it. And Obsidian is, has always been a, a, a gay character. Um, and, you know, from when he was created in the eighties with AIDS epidemic and, you know, there's a lot more, anger there and and less fear you know alan scott was probably more afraid to talk about his sexual orientation and and you know have people discover it because it was so looked down upon or or you know looked at as a deviant trait or evil or a sin or whatever um whereas the generation that his son came from it was much more there was anger there right because hey, i should be able to be me why am I being persecuted? Why am I being uh, judged? Right. And so they come at it from a very different perspective. Um, but you're right. The, the conversation they have, they, they come to an understanding and Alan realizes that he wasn't a very good father, you know, regardless, like leave all the, uh, you know, gender politics aside and what have you. He just wasn't there for either of his, his children. Um, and he, he, sort of vows here in the story to do a, a better job. And being that they have that in common, that they're both uh, gay men, that's something that they really can, can use, right? Somebody that's, that understands the special challenges that come with that. Um, so I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The only way it could have been better. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Klaus Jansen's pencils. Um, you know, he, he's a spectacular inker. 
but when he does the line work himself, it's just, I mean, it's okay. Uh, but I just find his, uh, his storytelling to be a little stiff at times and it's, it's no exception here, but, uh, I thought the color work was done exceptionally well. And that does help sort of smooth out a little bit of the, the rough edges. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was a great story. Um, definitely my favorite of, uh, of the issue. Uh, up next, we have a, a Constantine pinup by Kevin Wada, which is sort of interesting. He's standing there brushing his teeth, looking in the mirror <laughs> yeah. with a cigarette in his hand. And behind him, you see some sort of demon like or monster claws on the shower curtain. Like he can't even brush his teeth in peace. Um, but yeah, I just, I keep going back to looking at that cigarette in his hand while he's brushing his teeth. The other thing is, I, and you know, Kevin Wada is, is, a fantastic artist. Like when you, if, if somebody were to tell me who draws the best fashion in comics, he's the first person that would come to mind. Jen Bartel being second. Um, but I do sort of feel like he's drawn Constantine a little too good looking here. Cause to me, Constantine is always kind of rumpled and, you know, just not quite attractive. You know, he's just, if he took care of him, better care of himself, uh, and didn't smoke all the time and, you know, keep odd hours and odd company, he could be this attractive, yeah. um, but I think he needs to be a little less uh, attractive. But again, I think Kevin Wada, that's just his, yeah. his style. Well, he just, I, I, presumably he just got out of the shower here and he's just getting dressed. So it's probably the cleanest he's going to be all night. So <laughs> uh, The cleanest he's been probably in months, I would say, if you're talking about Constantine. Uh, up next, we have another, uh, another pinup, this one by Chris Anka with Scandal, Savage, Knockout, and Jeanette. I'm not familiar with it. And, who any of those characters are. Uh, so, Oh man, they're nice. members of the secret six. Uh, oh, gotcha. those are those of us who, uh, I, I absolutely love the secret six, uh, Gail Simone's classic secret six run. Gotcha. Fantastic. Gotcha. Also Catman. surprise. Catman's not in here, although there is a separate pinup of him coming up. Yeah. Uh, he's also a, a LGBTQ member, but bisexual character, also a member of the secret six. And uh, yeah, just great characters. And uh, again, uh, you know, the Secret Six is was LGBTQ before it was cool to be LGBTQ. So, yep. <laughs> but any event, yeah. Uh, next story we have is set in the future, uh, and the reason we know that is because it has Andy Curry all grown up. Um, it's written by Danny Lore. Lisa Sterl is the artist. Enrique Enrica Angelini does colors. Becca Carey on letters, um, and it's with the non-binary. Flash, uh, who was we were first introduced to in uh, in Future State. So, um, it's sort of interesting in a way um, because we barely got the birth of of Andy Curry, you know, the the daughter of uh, Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and Mira, and then we, you know, very soon after that, the Aquaman series was canceled, and then we got Future State, and she was all grown up and. I, we don't even know. Like, is she a lesbian? Is she bisexual? Like, we don't even know. D does it matter? I guess, I guess not. Um, but I, I sort of feel about her the way I feel about John Kent to a lesser degree, obviously, because I didn't have time to really get to know Andy Curry as a character and, and really be invested in her. But it's like you're telling these stories of her all grown up, but I never got the stories of her as a kid. Like, can I get to know her first before we start telling all these stories in the future? I, so, I feel again, the same way about Jess Chambers. I, I feel I feel that way. What you just said about both these characters, I don't feel I know them well enough to have to have a snapshot of this part of their life right now. To be honest, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, Jess Chambers, she's a Flash from the Future. We know nothing about 
them uh, other than they're non-binary. Um, so it's hard to care about this story. It's great to see their relationship and clearly they care about each other. And we, we saw hints of this in the Future State Justice League title. Um, but without more context, it's kind of like, okay, so they, you know, one is non-binary, one is apparently bisexual or lesbian, um, and they like each other. Okay, great. But why do I care? I, because I don't know who they are. Um, but I mean, technically it's, it's a well put together story. There's some great, uh, panel layouts here. Uh, but the color work is done well. I think the dialogue is, is smooth. So technically it's a well done story. It's just, I have no investment in these characters because you haven't made me care about these characters yet, you know? So I thought it was just okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a couple of, uh, and maybe it's the, the lettering here. I, I'm, I'm trying to understand there, there's a scene where she's standing, where Jess Chambers is, is getting dressed and she's, she's talking to herself and she, she says cute, but more pic, picnic cute, but more picnic cute. And then she, she keeps saying clothes, makeup gift. Uh, and, and she keeps saying that in all the panels and I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Uh, What's the name of the story? Clothes, makeup I, gift. I, yeah. She's trying to, and, oh, she wants the makeup for being late. Clothes, makeup gift. I, I don't. I, no, I, no, never I think that's what she's, it, it's what, so she's always late. And that's what she's kind of repeating to herself. This is my list of things I need to get done before I show up for my date. I need to pick out my clothes. I need to do my makeup. I need to get oh. the gift. Oh, and oh so, okay. Yeah. She, because, you know, there was that conversation she had early on with uh, Andy about how she's always late and how, how come flashes are always late and they always, you know, forget things. Um, you know, Andy even says, I did just see a plaque out there con commemorating the legendary lateness of every speedster. Okay. And Jess Chambers, I don't do late. I'm going to be ready and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, she just keeps repeating to herself, clothes, makeup, gift, clothes, make because she doesn't want to forget anything. She wants the date to be right be perfect so that's how i read it anyway yeah no well, no obviously that's right i just uh yeah i yeah i i, I was in the wrong mindset when i read this clearly both times that I, that i read it to be honest i i guess it was um i just don't feel like i know this these characters at all i know absolutely nothing about jess chambers and i boy oh boy would i benefit from just a nice origin story or or something i go yeah. i go absolutely I know nothing about Jess Chambers. And what is she from the future? Is she like who is she related to or what? Like I, I know nothing. Like I, I, I don't know. Maybe if it was summer, I, I don't know. But this was, um, you know, you know, I got to watch what I say because I, I'll, I'll happily put my foot in my mouth because I, you know, sometimes I, I, as you know, I forget things, <laughs> but I I don't know where was the formative origin of this character and to get it this way in DC Pride, you know, she's she's forever known as like the non-binary Flash and what an unfortunate way to be introduced as a character that look at me, I'm non-binary as opposed to look at me, I'm, you know, for reasons which might actually make me an interesting character. You know, that's and 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 that's and I say that with caution because I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm I'm also serious. I, I I'm I, I wanna get to know this character. She is in love with Aquaman and Mira's daughter. And so I wanna know who this speedster is. I wanna know her background. And 
you know, so I will, you know, this does pique my interest. I'm not going to lie. You know, this is definitely, you want to talk about a future state story. This is in the future. Well, wow. Okay. We're, we know where we're headed. It's going to be very interesting to see as, as we watch younger versions of these characters develop an attraction for each other over time. So, uh, yeah, so I guess in that respect, I guess maybe I'm just too impatient and I got to I gotta learn patience. <laughs> no, but I feel the same way because I, I feel like you're giving us this future story of, of Andy Curry. And I, I keep going back to her because that bothers me more than the Jess Chambers because we haven't even seen her being born. But it's like you've already told us that Andy's going to grow up and be, be a lesbian or, or, you know, be bisexual. You're And you're already giving us some characterization of her. So you're... Be, you're you're it's not that you're pigeonholing her that's not the right it's not the, but you're foreshadowing so now if i go back and i read an aquaman story about andy i the, i'm gonna have preconceptions right because i've had these stories of who she is in the future instead of it's just like well her she can develop as a character and go any which way she could end up married to dick grayson she could you know what i mean like yeah. that's all off the table already you're already limiting so I don't know that that bothers me a, a little bit. So yeah, it, it's also very much off the table. Like it, it's so. I mean, for for Arthur, uh, for Arthur Curry and Mira's daughter to suddenly have a relationship with this, just a, it's a very odd choice for it. Like it's just a very odd choice. I mean, she's destined to be the queen of Atlantis, and she's. Well, maybe, you know, it maybe not. It seems like an odd choice for for, for it. It just sort of like puts the cart before the horse. Like, why don't you develop yeah. the character first before you're going to throw her in this? In this, really, what an odd relationship. And I'm not yeah, really I mean, sure. I, I, you know, I go back to the fact that Andy barely existed for just a matter of months before. You know, the next time we see her, she's like in her mid twenties. Um, but if you didn't read that Kelly Sue DeConnick Aquaman run, they they did abdicate. The, the throne they're, they they um what's the right word well, they well democratize they Atlantis essentially yeah 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 they dissolve the monarchy so yeah. but that's not to say it couldn't be reinstated so but yeah, yeah I mean maybe she's the, I... the, you know the <laughs> the figurative uh queen of Atlantis at some point with apparently Jess Chambers as her fellow queen so uh anyway Next story, Be Gay, Do Crime, which uh, I got to say, that is the best title of any of the stories yeah. in this entire issue. Be Gay, Do Crime. Uh, story by Cena Grace, art by Rose Stein and Ted Brandt, letters by Adida Bidikar. It's a fun story. It's another pretty short one. Um, what I did like about this one, we get a Pied Piper appearance. And Pied Piper, probably one of the first um, gay characters in DC Comics history, uh, I think way back in the 80s uh, in, in the pages of flash and so i'm glad that they included him here and it's a pretty funny story he takes um another gay character under his wing and um because there's this landlord who's basically discriminating against uh lgbtq um and this character drum, drummer boy i think is his uh his or her name um because it's not clear. They're sort of exactly. yeah, sort of his or her. Like who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> want to toss a coin. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, could be. Could go either way. I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it's it's interesting because 
they're they have a certain way of doing things they're going to try to handle this on their own and the pied piper comes in and it's like nah i've been doing this for a long time there's a better way um and it might he might have an advantage because he has so much money and drummer boy doesn't but uh it is pretty fun um and i thought the art was pretty solid as well so uh i i enjoyed it it was it was a fun story another another pretty short one uh yeah. but i thought it was well done so yeah i yeah, it, it was well. Well, I guess you could say it's a story. I mean, they basically just get together. The Pied Piper feels sorry for the for this for this character that is like gay or something, and and they they want to they want to take it out on this landlord that's apparently discriminating against the LGBTQ community or raising the rent on them, and so to get even with the landlord. They decide to terrorize the landlord and break break laws, thinking that that's going to help the matter, or forcing the landlord to sell an agreement. And Pied Piper, apparently, he must be rich. Yeah, uh, and he's going to buy the apartment complex. So, you know, yeah, sure. If you throw money at any problem, it generally solves it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess that's what Pied Piper does. You know, uh, at the behest of this new overweight slash gay person that he meets on a rooftop. Uh, this was, um, like I said, I mean, there's, I, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm smiling as I, I have this habit that I sort of giggle and I, I huff a lot when I really, I'm out of words. I don't know what to say. And, but I mean, uh, if you put a couple of drinks in me and if we were in a bar right now, I'd probably say I, I pr- crack a couple of inappropriate jokes, but um, this th- only because this is a fun read. Th- this is funny. There's a lot of inside jokes here that I could, uh, if this was a different form and there wasn't an algorithm governing what we're saying, I, I could probably have more fun with this story. But uh, <laughs> this is this is fun. This is fun, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I mean, Cena Grace is a talented writer and uh, much younger than either you or I, and. <laughs> You know that the dialogue here is is pretty. Uh, there's a lot of current jargon, you know, um, yeah. that sort of goes over our heads. Uh, but through the context <laughs> of the story, you get what's what's going on. So, uh, anyway, date night is up next. Uh, as I mentioned, written by Nicole Maines, who is the transgender actor who plays the uh, dreamer in the Supergirl TV show, which uh, I've never seen. Uh, Rachel Stott on art. Enrica, Aaron, Angelini does colors. Steve Wands on letters. Um, the art here is spectacular. That's where this story really shines. I, I, I feel like if I had more context with who Dreamer is, I might enjoy this more. Um, but she's basically out there fighting crime and worried that she's going to be late for her date with Brainiac 5. So she ends up having to bring this guy that she catches. And is it is it kind of – no, I guess not. Sort of looks like Calendar Man, but not. Um, but I got that from the last panel where it looks like there's something written on his forehead like Calendar Man. Um, but anyway, she does make her date with Brainiac 5, but has to bring along this thug that she captured while fighting crime on the way to her date, and he's handcuffed to her wrist. So, I, I, I again, I admit I didn't know who Dreamer was because I don't watch the Supergirl TV show, and I when I was going through and reading this, I'm like, why is this an LGBTQ story? Like, I don't understand. It's about a girl who's worried about being late for her date with a guy. Like, where does the 
LGBTQ coming. Yeah. And so when I finished reading it, I had to go and Google Dreamer, and that's when I discovered that. Uh, so Dreamer's a trans character. The uh, uh, Nicole Maines, right? Is that right, or is it Natalie Maines? Nicole Maines, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Maines, the 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 person who plays Dreamer in the TV show, is also trans and also wrote this. And so I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and there's even a little interview with Nicole in the the back of the book, and she talks about how far they've come, you know, and there would have been a time where there wouldn't even have been a trans character cast in a, in a, you know, primetime TV show, uh, let alone played by a trans actor. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was all kind of great. Um, and apparently Brainiac five, you know, being from the future doesn't have, you know, any kind of hangups about it or whatever. So it definitely shows, uh, you know, progression in terms of the acceptance. And so all in all, a pretty good story. Um, but again, when I first read it, I was, I was a little lost, um, but it's beautiful to look at and the colors are, are fantastic. Uh, as far as the actual context of the story, again, because I don't know these characters, it's hard for me to really say, you know, is this an accurate portrayal of, uh, of dreamer? Well, it's written by the person that plays dreamer on TV. So <laughs> I'm going to assume yes, but I don't have any context. So I can't really. I can't really say, so I can't critique the story from that point of view, but it is, I, you know, I, I can kind of critique it from the same thing that Nicole is talking about in her interview, that it's cool that we can just have this story about a girl who's worried about being late for her date with a guy. And the fact that she's trans isn't like, you're not beat over the head with it. It's not even in the story. I had to go looking elsewhere for it. It would be nice to get to that point, right? Where, we don't even have to have Pride Month because every month is Pride Month because we're just celebrating our differences rather than calling them out, you know. And that's sort of what this story aspires to. I feel like so. Yeah. Uh, what, what were your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, I share your sentiments ex exactly. I I don't know anything about Dreamer. I don't watch. Uh, I think I've se I've seen Dreamer on the on the commercials occasionally for CW. CW is one of those plagues on TV. I try to avoid. Uh, uh, because I, you know, uh, I always joke that uh, if you ever watch a CW show, I stopped watching the CW network because uh, every time I'd always joke that every time a male character apologizes to a female character, you got a drink. And I was usually drunk by the first commercial uh, because, <laughs> because it was just it's just, you know, they, they, they're they terrible at portraying relationships in the CW network. Everybody loves everybody. Every all the men are wrong. All the women are right. Everything is that's just the way it is. Everybody gets along with everybody until they don't. And even the bad guys are, are beta males. I mean, it's just uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm I'm not even trying to be on a soapbox here. I just I find it. I can only watch so much of it. This is actually a pleasant surprise. This is an enjoyable. This is a nice character. Beautifully drawn. I would happily welcome Dreamer into the DC universe. She's not in the mainstream DC universe that I am aware of. I don't know about you. I don't think she's ever been. I don't think she like she's not she's not a member of the Titans or anything like that. Is she is she is she actually been in a story other than this? No, one this is her story? this is her her comic book debut in this issue. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, and I now as a criticism, uh, I guess as a criticism, I have no idea what her powers are. I never I never got a sense of that from from this story. I don't know what she does other than hop around and she emanates some stuff from her hands. I've got no idea what her power is. If does she put people to sleep? Does she make them dream? What does she do? Uh, 
Astral projection. Yeah, according to the profile in the back, astral projection, dreamwalking, energy manipulation, and one eye romancy. Yeah. Whatever the heck that is, I have no yeah. idea. See, this is what I mean. Where um, th- this is one of those things where, and this this is, uh, I believe this is a legitimate criticism, and I say this again with caution that, you know, I would have been much more interested. Like her sexuality has absolutely nothing to do with this story. Not really. She's just late for a date. Who cares what sexuality she is? Tell me something about the character. Tell me something about her power set. Tell me something hint at how she got her powers. Tell me something about her that I should I could care about this as a as a person as a character outside her sexuality. That there's a missed opportunity here and the excuse that there's only 3 or 4 pages, I'm sorry, you could still you could still do that. And again, all the stories to a certain extent maybe we're lacking a little bit of that with 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 some exceptions which we which we discussed, but again, uh Again, it's a nice, it's a nice, very, this is a very vanilla sky, very surface level introduction. And that's why it's so disappointing. There, there's an old expression that it's, uh, you know, you when you, you know, it's that first impression is so important. And this first impression is fine, but is it memorable? I mean, is, is there anything about this character other than her sexuality that cries out that says we need her in the DC universe? No. It, there really isn't. I'm hoping in her second appearance, we're going to get to know her a little bit more. Same goes, frankly, for uh, Mira and the, uh, I guess, the the non-binary Flash. Hopefully, they'll become more interesting as characters as we move forward. Yeah, I think you mean Andy Curry said Mira, Mira's God. daughter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I did just look it up. It's it's pronounced O-Niromancy, and it's interpreting dreams to predict the future. So. Okay. It makes sense. I mean, her name is Dreamer. I mean, right away, the impression that I got was maybe she's from the same planet as Dream Girl from the Legion of Superheroes, or, or some, she has some sort of tie-in like Dream Girl. So Dream Girl, she can tell the future from dreams. So that's sort of, uh, I guess, maybe. similar power set here and some energy manipulation, like I said. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, hopefully, if we do see more of her, we, we get us story more than just her being late for a date so we can figure out who the heck she is. Yeah. Uh, up next in the book is that Catman uh, pinup that is my my favorite probably piece of art in the whole book by Nick Robles. It's just absolutely fantastic. That's followed by a, a pinup of Harley and Ivy by Sophie Campbell that's also very well done. Yeah, and then we yeah we come to the, the final story in the book, which is uh, about a gay pride parade written by Andrew Wheeler. Luciano Vecchio, artist, Rex Locus Colors, Becca Carey Letters. Uh, this one's pretty interesting. It, it stars um, Jackson Hyde, who we just found out recently is getting his own. Uh, I think it's a six-issue limited series, uh, which is interesting because, you know, Aquaman 2 is coming out, I think, ne- early next year. So you would think that they would want an Aquaman title with uh, Arthur Curry in it. But I'm a fan of Jackson Hyde. And to make things even better, the person that's writing that is the same person that wrote the future state Aquaman title. Brandon which Thomas. Was, yeah. Brandon Thomas. Right on. Which was far and away. I mean, I'm not talking, it's not close far and away the best future state title. Uh, unfortunately we don't get Daniel Sampier art because Daniel Sampier is doing action comics, but the art I have seen for it. I, and the name of the artist escapes me right now. I'm sorry. I apologize for that, but the art looks fantastic. So, knowing that we're getting a Jackson Hyde 
story knowing that he's uh and i don't even know again is, is he gay is he bisexual I, I don't know frankly i don't care this is a, a fun story and it's it's entitled love life and it, it's right at the end here where eclipso shows up and it, it in a way it's very much a metaphor right eclipso shows up there it's raining on their gay pride parade eclipso's there to cause problems and it's it's very much a, a metaphor you know these these gay characters are out here trying to uh, celebrate their their sexuality and celebrate who they are and celebrate inclusiveness. And then they're all sort of together and the rain and the attack by Eclipsos in my mind is sort of like, okay, that's society that wants to, you know, put a damper on their uh, exuberance because let's face it, there, there is that stereotype of, uh, of gays being very flamboyant. And I, I know it's a, it's a stereotype and it's a trope and it's not always true, but there are those that, that are, um, and, and that are out and proud and that's great. And they just want to have fun. They just want to ha- celebrate gay pride and have this parade. And, you know, here comes Eclipso to try to ruin their day, but we get the first in continuity in DC comic appearance of the JLQ, which was one of the, the titles. And we talked about it on a previous episode uh, that was in the DC round Robin. And uh, I, I think Rocky had even said, I, I just don't understand, like, why are you going to have all these gay characters just, just happen to form up? Well, it makes perfect sense because they were all at a gay pride parade. And so it makes yeah. uh, perfect sense that they would all band together to uh, take on Eclipso. And it's a great origin story for how, you know, if they, if they do decide to at some point uh, produce a JLQ title, uh, it'll come out of this. So it's fun. Um I, I don't necessarily recognize all the characters that are here. Uh, we do get Extraneo looking a little less like Doctor Strange, but still like Doctor Strange. We get the Ray, which I didn't know that the Ray was uh, an LGBTQ char- character. Oh, Bunkers oh, there, Batwoman, <laughs> uh, Midnighter and Apollo, Tracy Thirteen, uh, Crush. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun story, and uh, Eclipso should know better. Um, but maybe he thought that uh, you know he wasn't expecting this level of uh, of resistance at a gay pride parade but i will also say it really highlights just how many uh lgbtq characters dc does have uh they have a pretty deep bench when it comes to that and, and i think that's a good thing so yeah i got uh, a, i got a question is that the uh the wolf like character who is that is that is that gregario's husband because uh, very well maybe i don't because he I, I don't know who yeah. is that who's that wolf looking character i don't know i don't I've, know who that is uh, I don't, but I, you're I, probably right. It probably is Gregorio's husband, because he referenced him his husband being kind of a yeah. wolf in the in that one story with John Constantine and Midnighter. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're gonna have to find out and 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 wait to see. So there are some questions that maybe are unanswered here, which are sort of wetting the appetite for people are, that are curious about you know who these people are in relationships with. There are some mysteries. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. I by the way, the the, the Sil character, the 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 apprentice of 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 um, uh, what's what's his name, Extrano, with his butterfly and his his green butterfly cut off top. He's got the most ridiculous looking flamboyant costume I've ever seen. Uh, most of the time, I mean, I know we can criticize superheroes for wearing outrageous outfits, but there's there's no question that if some of these characters are going to continue with some of these, oh yeah, boy. I agree. Uh, I, I is, don't. 
Yeah, uh, I could care less about Seal's sexual orientation, <laughs> butterfly man, butterfly boy, whatever. Yeah, that's... But yeah, the guy's wearing a fanny pack. Yeah. I mean, I don't... That's just not okay. <laughs> it, well, it just doesn't... It, it just looks really ridiculous. Uh, really ridiculous, in, in, in my view. Uh, I know Andrew Wheeler, the writer, he wrote... Uh, he used to work for Chapter House... Uh, and he wrote a, a lot of. Uh, he, he's definitely a big proponent of uh, of bringing you know LGBTQ uh, members into the uh, into comic books. So he's definitely the he's he's probably the right person to sort of showcase these types of stories because he's he's you know he's good at it. And he's very uh, proactive in the LGBT community and in public in and he's and he's had that role in publishing and played that role. And um, if anyone can make though, make these characters, uh, you know, I mean, th these are not uninteresting characters. I mean, they're, they're vibrant, they're great characters in their own right. But now, now that we're, now that we know they're here, I hope that they know that the JLQ, they played it like a joke and it is kind of a humorous joke. It's justice league queer happened to be at it. Like I said, uh, a, a pride parade, but now I, I really think it's important to, to maybe now let's get some serious stories. Now I, you know, these are interesting characters. Now focus on the actual characters, the backstories, and why the, these are extraordinary characters outside of you know what they choose for their sexuality. Yeah, so I, I did look it up. Apparently, uh, his name is Tasmanian Devil. He is married to oh, <laughs> uh, Extranio, um, and he, he man he appeared all the way back in super friends number seven in 1977. Wow. I, don't, I don't think he was necessarily, <laughs> was he gay uh, on the super friends? Gay back then. I don't think that was the case. I thought I the wonder twins came, were gay. <laughs> yeah. I think that probably came later. Um, maybe in, maybe that was a new 52 change, but again, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, wow. But Talk yeah, about just, an I mean, odd actually, pairing, huh? It's actually, yeah, it's actually on Wikipedia. Wow. I looked up Extrano husband and, and yeah, it's, it's there. And I've heard that name Tasmanian devil. He has been gay for quite a long time uh, because he's, he, he is noted as one of the first Extrano being noted for being the very first openly gay superhero in DC comics. Uh, the character was controversial, both internally at DC, as well as with readership. Um, when Englehart created him for that uh, millennium. Uh, wow event basically so yeah anyway I, I agree with your sentiment that <laughs> this was a fun celebration of these characters um but yeah like if we're if dc's really going to put its money where its mouth is then can we get some some series with these characters where we focus on who they are as people and as heroes and live their lives and have adventures and do whatever. And the, the uh, you know, the most important story point is not the fact that they're LGBTQ, right? Like you, you mentioned it right at the beginning that you wanted more romance in your, your superhero, you know, your Superman stories. Um, and, and, and you're right. People do tend, people of a certain persuasion do tend to, you know, front, well, I don't want gay characters. I, you know, why am I reading a comic about, you know, Jackson Hyde, who's dating, you know, this dude, I don't want to read that. That's, that, that's political. That's, um, you know, tokenism or what have you, but the same people will read a Superman comic where it's about him and uh, Superman and Lois's marriage, right? Like that's part of the story. So 
you, you've got to look beyond it and just realize that these are just stories about characters and who, whatever comes along with that character, whatever their identity is, you know, straight or not, um, person of color or not, that, that informs who they are and informs their story and it's going to be part of their story. Yeah. So yeah, I'm all, I'm glad we're getting a Jackson Hyde mini. I uh, can't wait for that. Um, and there's some of these other characters I'd be very interested in learning more about, but, but here's the thing, right? Um, there's some of these characters that I don't want to read more about and uh, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with them being LGBTQ. It just has to do with me not caring about the character, you know, like I, there's plenty of uh, straight characters that I don't, you know, read or don't really care that much about um, yeah. like Swamp Thing, for example. Um, although I don't know if you can be, heterosexual if you're a plant i don't i don't quite know how that works but uh but anyway it doesn't have anything to do with it just has to do with i don't particularly care for the character i don't particularly care for uh midnighter but then i don't want to read an amanda waller book either and you know she's uh heterosexual apparently so but anyway i, I thought i thought this was good um overall I, I enjoyed it and uh i thought some of the pinups were spectacular but really, the one that stands out to me is that uh, that Alan Alan Scott story because you're right. Um, it's just it's it's an inspired choice to make him sort of the elder statesman, um, LGBTQ character of uh, of the DC universe. It just suits the character so so well, and uh, it also reminds me that in that Earth Two series, which I think is very very underrated, um, the New Fifty Two Earth series, uh, Tom Taylor and Nicholas Scott. Um, that was sort of the first time we saw Alan Scott. And it, was, it wasn't this version of Alan Scott. Obviously, it was the, the Earth 2 version um, being uh, portrayed as gay. And it worked really, really well. And uh, it's, a, it's a favorite character of mine. I love the character design. All those designs in, that Nicola did for Earth 2 were, were fantastic. So I'm very much looking forward to more Alan Scott stories. Uh, and I, I think we will get that. I think he's supposed to be a pretty big part of the Infinite Frontier uh, miniseries that's starting next week, if I if I remember correctly. So, yeah, uh, I guess we'll yeah, see. He's part of it. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, just uh, I I I showed a little bit as you were talking that the back of the 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 comic book focuses a lot on the TV on the TV uh, CW network with Dreamer and Batwoman, and it's got some beautiful layouts. White Canary, John Constantine from the you know the uh, from the from the TV show uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And yeah, uh, even Thunder. There we've uh, Anna Sapir's Thunder being the daughter of Black Black Lightning, and Negative Man of the Doom Patrol. Uh, a great, you know, uh, a great series. Which uh, uh, I don't even think is that on the CW network. That's on a different I network. Think, isn't it? I don't think so. I think it's on. Um, it, it was on the DC Universe app, and now I guess it would be on HBO Max. Yeah, that that would explain why it's it's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, and interesting so I, I i don't i don't remember that being part of negative man when he his origin when he first uh appeared that he was gay and that was part of why well, he they made him uh, gay I'm, i think it was about i think it was uh well if i first became whatever but i think it was five or six years ago like like when i on the the young animal line for doom patrol right, they, right. it was sort of established they made, and yeah they yeah. made that change yeah yeah that's what I thought, because you know, again, that's a character that was created back in the '60s. But uh, yeah, he's an interesting character, and he, he's played by Matt Bomer, who's uh, the actor who's who's gay. So again, great, great choice, and nice that uh, 
Matt can be out and proud as well. So, yeah, overall, I thought this was uh, this was a success. It it did. I think it did what it set out to do. You know, it's celebrating the diversity of DC's characters and helping to celebrate Pride Month. Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, overall, it was it was a good effort. But uh, now let's move forward and deal with uh, you know. Hopefully, these characters can be developed in a in a in a more in a more substantive way beyond their sexuality. And uh, I, I think they've, you know, it's kind of an odd way to start off getting to know somebody is, by the way, I'm gay. Now come listen, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm gay. Come, you know, like me, like me. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. kind of a weird way to get my attention. But hey, you know, such is the times that we live in. And guess what? I am going to check out these characters. I am going to give them a chance. And uh, we, we, you and I will certainly be reviewing their stories. And I got to admit, I love Extrano, man. I, I, I love the DC Universe. I just, I know it's a copycat to Doctor Strange. I think it's, a, I think it's so close to the chest. It's ridiculous, but I don't care. I like the guy. Uh, you know, I mean, all the power to him. A little odd that he's into wolves, but, you know, I mean, they, <laughs> they say that he's gay, but it's, it looks like he's into a wolf, you know, you know, yeah. but anyways, I'll stop talking. I'll just get myself in trouble, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the thing. He looks a lot like Doctor Strange, and you know, especially when he's uh, exhibiting his powers. You know, you mentioned it's those like glowing discs or whatever. But we haven't got enough characterization of him to really say he could be quite, quite different. Um, but I agree with you. Like DC could use a, a Doctor Strange. Doctor Fate never quite fills that role. Yeah, uh, he's too, he's too aloof. You know, he's he's. It's a, yeah. it's a human possessed by a lord of order. It, it exactly. It's always quite. the lord of chaos or the lord of uh, yeah. the lord of order that is always controlling yeah. his actions. Nabu, and it yeah. never really feels relatable, you know, Dr. Yeah, Fate. exactly. Exactly. So, uh, all right. Well, I guess that's going to do it, everybody. Be sure if you're listening to this uh, audio only, you head over to YouTube, to the Comic Boom uh, YouTube channel and uh, give it a like. Make sure you smash that uh, subscribe button and hit that notification bell so you know whenever Rocky has new content coming out. Uh, if you are watching it on YouTube, uh, we always appreciate subscribers over at the Comic Source. So um, be sure you head over to whatever your iPad or your uh, podcast platform of choice. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, uh, whatever it might be, just head over and, and give us a, a subscribe. Really appreciate it. So uh, I think that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for listening or watching as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.